How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. You can always find me at practical-golf.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Check out 400 articles for free on how to get better at golf and our deals section. Adam, where can they find you? I'm Adam Young from adamyounggolf.com and you can do the same. Come to my website, loads of free articles, loads of free blogs, loads of great premium content as well to help you get better. So we are on episode, I believe this is episode 20. We had Marty Jurtson from Ping on last week. I got a lot of good feedback from that. People want to see that Ping golf ball tool, but it's not out yet. And some other news, we just crossed 100,000 downloads. So thank you for everyone for listening. We're super excited that everyone's tuning in, getting in touch with us, and we're trying to figure out to do like some type of giveaway to thank everyone, but we don't have it set up yet. <laughs> we just spent about so maybe, 30 minutes trying to figure out how to do a giveaway, but uh, we'll figure it out by next week. Yes, we want to reward people for listening in. So thank you again for everyone tuning in. So this week, we're going to be talking about an incredibly important topic. We're going to talk about approach shot strategy kind of debunking some myths, how to pick smarter targets. And this is really a topic that I've concentrated a lot on over the years. And it's it's something that I know can shave a decent amount of strokes off of most players' games quite efficiently. It's one of the low-hanging fruit of scoring, in my opinion. Yeah, it doesn't require it doesn't require any physical, special physical skills. Like to hit the ball 320 yards, you're going to have to be a bit of a beast but you certainly don't have to be a beast in terms of strategy and this is always where I tried as a non-beast junior growing up this is where I tried to get my edge was thinking through the golf course better and thinking through strategy better and I actually made many mistakes you know I listened to some wives tales and things like that that actually hurt my game you know like taking irons off tees and things like that but we're going to be talking more about approach shot strategy for this one right that's correct yeah it's something that it's incredibly simple to listen to and i know people who've read practical golf are probably like oh here he goes again with these basic things and it's it's so simple to understand but the reason i keep bringing it up is probably to remind myself, everyone needs reminding of these things, even professional golfers. Secondly, it's just to get people bought in because when you're on the course and things start happening in your round, like if you had some poor shots and you're not happy with what's going on, your instinct is to abandon this and not be disciplined. But I can tell you, if you follow some of the rules we're going to set forth in this episode, I can pretty much guarantee most people listening to this, if they stick with the plan most of the time, you don't have to be perfect, your scores will drop. 
And I've gotten so many messages from people over the years who are like, yep, I just changed the way I aimed on my iron shots, approach shots, and now my handicap's four or five strokes lower. It's not rocket science. It's more discipline. Yeah, it's amazing how many amateurs think on the golf course. It's kind of instinctive to me at, at this point. Maybe it wasn't at one point, but you know, I, I used to play playing lessons and I'd be going through a, a shot that I'm hitting and I'd say I'd be aiming here and the amateur would stop me and say, whoa, why, why are you aiming there? I'd say, well, I'm I'm aiming to the right of the pin because, you know, <laughs> because I'm trying to go for the middle of the green. They say, well, why aren't you going for the pin? And I had to kind of logically think about that. I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I just know that going for the pin, I'm, I'm more likely to miss it left of of that. So I'm, I'm going for the right of the green. And they're like, oh, okay. I say, so you would go for the pin in that scenario? And they say, yeah, of course I would. And, uh, you know, this is very early on, obviously, but getting an insight, it surprised me how many amateurs were playing such an aggressive strategy. As a, as a player, I always thought that everybody thought like me. And then as a coach, when I started to actually delve into players' mindsets, I realized that, whoa, these guys have a much bigger spread than me. They're not as skilled as me, but they still have a more aggressive strategy than me. That's not a good mix. No wonder you guys are shooting 78 one minute and then 92 the next. Yeah, I think it's another part of the game that no one sits down a golfer when they're taking up golf. You know, we're kind of beating a dead horse here, but we keep saying that everyone talks about the swing, the swing, the swing. And, you know, no one sits people down and gets them through the, the the philosophy of why you would take, I guess, what most people would consider a more conservative strategy on approach shots, which is really a winning strategy. And most people just assume that, you know, the pin is sticking out of the ground. You're looking at it. You're like, oh, that's my target. I, I mean, I remember playing with a friend about five or six years ago, this always stuck out to me. You know, he was really trying to get better, you know, low 90s, high 80s shooter. And I was kind of like coaching him through the rounds. And I remember he had an errant tee shot on one hole. And we were like in the trees. The green was elevated, trees between us and the pin. Uh, but there was an opening to the left where he could you know, kind of lay up or at least get a chunk of the green. I'm like, where are you aiming here? He's like, oh, at the pin. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, I, I could give Rory McIlroy 100 balls from here and I don't think he could land the ball around the pin. Like that, that is literally an impossible shot. And I tried to explain to him because he picked that target. Well, now that bunker is more in play. Now you're, that those trees are more in play. And, he, and I said, you know, if you aim out here more to the left, your worst shot won't kill you. At least you'll be near the green and you can get it on with your next shot and, and hopefully two putt for a bogey. What what he was doing in that scenario by by choosing the pin and a lot of players in those situations is is just selecting that target brings in scenarios where you're going to make those double bogeys or worse, and that is really it's not all we're trying to avoid with approach shot strategy, but it's one of the big ones. So yeah, I, I agree with you that most players just assume that the pin is their target, and because of that. I think they're throwing away a lot of strokes needlessly in their rounds. Let me go through and define a few things for everybody first, and that'll lead you into talking about stats specifically. So obviously you have the pin or the flag. That is That needs no definition, hopefully. But target, target is, for me at least, where you'd like the ball to finish in reality. So you've got to give yourself a sensible buffer either side. You know, if 10 yards left of your target is water, that is not a sensible target. 
Yeah, you've got to give yourself a little bit of room either side that's going to still be safe. So target can be different to the flag or the pin. So my target, for example, might be the middle of the green when the flag is on the left. Now, for me, I also have a different definition for aim. Aim is where I'm mentally trying to get the ball to finish. So if I'm on the range, all right, and I'm, I want the ball to finish on the 150 sign, I might mentally aim about five yards, 10 yards right of that because I know I tend to miss more left of my aim. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So if I'm on the course, imagine this scenario. If you've got, you've got the pin on the left, I might be targeting the middle of the green and I might be aiming slightly farther right of that. And then another definition, I've got adjusted aim, which is where you adjust for things like wind. So if the wind is off the right, I might even aim even farther right. Or if the lie of the land is a little funky, you know, the ball's above your feet or below your feet, that's going to affect direction as well. So I've got my pin, I've got my target, I've got my aim, and then I've got my adjusted aim. And finally, I've got my alignment which is my physical aim, I suppose. So, you know, people would usually talk about where you aim your feet, where you aim your shoulders, things like that. And uh, I might even aim farther right of those things. So it's very common for me to have a pin on the left and I'll be, people look at me and I'm aiming with my body at the, uh, or I'm aligning, I should say, to the right side of the green. So all these things could be different. And you don't want the way out, you know, you don't want, to aim 40 yards or align 40 yards off target, unless there are certain scenarios that demand that. But just to realize you do not have to aim and line up to the pin. There's so many different scenarios where that is not optimal. Absolutely. So I thought we could, I'd like to build like a case here. I really want people to understand why aiming at the pin is a mistake. And there's a number of reasons for that. I kind of want to like, Maybe these are my opening arguments in a uh, in a trial here, <laughs> and I've been doing this for years now. But I'd like to do it in this episode as well and kind of build the case. Can I do that, Adam? Is that okay? You can. Okay, Take- and you can chime in. Chime in, of course. I'm trying to think no of court terms, me. but I've never been to court, luckily, so I don't know any. Yeah, let's scratch that because you could start bringing in some UK stuff that's going to be different from the American version. We've got listeners in Australia, so let's let's not do that. Go on, then. Um, State your case. Okay. Well, first of all, approach shots in general, we now know with our advanced analysis, like this is where scoring occurs the most. This is where golfers separate themselves. Here's a quote from Mark Brody, who I I continually talk about because he was really the one who clarified all of this through strokes gained analysis. And I hope to have him on the show soon, but this is from Every Shot Counts. My analysis of millions of golf shots reveals a consistent finding. Approach shots account for the biggest scoring advantage between golfers of every skill level. The best golfers also gain strokes with their driving short game and putting games, but approach shots are the greatest difference maker. And this bears out, I've seen it through all the different stat systems, whether it's shot scope, Arcos, his findings have been backed up by, you know, real world statistics by regular golfers. So approach shots, I always tell people, you know, if you want to go from being a 15 handicap to a five, make big strides in your game, a lot of that is going to come from your iron play or hybrid play, whatever you want to call it. It's a really important part of the game. I mean, what you see with golfers, I mean, you have the strike plan that that is a lot of that has to do with iron play. 
I'm sure you're stressing that in your coaching as well, right? Yeah, I mean the accuracy plan is is to do a lateral dispersion. So I, I yeah, show people true. how to do the, all this aim and picking appropriate targets and what appropriate target sizes are as well. So approach shots are important. Let's just get that out of the way. They they are the most important shots on the course. So it's always easiest to start off with what PGA Tour players are doing because that that brings people back to earth with their unrealistic expectations. And I always use proximity numbers. They're not perfect, but they're pretty good. Here's like middle of the pack performance for PGA Tour players from different yardages. This is on average how close they're landing the ball to the pin. From 175 to 200 yards is 33 feet. That actually doesn't sound that good, but that's incredible. That's that's very far away from the pin and they're getting it 33 feet away. Certainly not a kick in. Uh, 150 to 175 yards is about 28 feet. 125 to 150 yards is 23 feet. And here's the one that always gets people. From 100 to 125 yards, which is a wedge for pretty much any PGA Tour player, they're only getting it to about 19 and a half feet on average. So what does that scream out to you, Adam? They have a quite a wide circle. I mean, if even if you take that 150 to 175 yard range, what was it, 28 feet? 28 feet, yeah. So that's, that's pretty much 10 yards. And that's average, right? And that could be yeah. ten. That could be ten yards either side. That could be ten exactly. yards left of the target or right of the yep. target. So effectively, that's a twenty-yard wide circle, and that's the average. They're they're hitting the perimeter of that on average. Some of those are going to be inside of that, but some of those are going to be outside of that as well. So you could think of a torpor having close to a forty-yard wide circle or dispersion with an iron and that's yeah that's just them going in with a nine iron right (laughs) exactly and that and that circle is front to long and left to right because that's what you have to think about with approach shots but you know for me always the biggest takeaway is there is that the best golfers in the world are not capable of keeping the ball around the pin and it's just it's a bit of a fool's errand to assume that if you aim at that pin that you can keep the ball within a 10-foot window. It's just impossible. So what's even more interesting, I have some proximity stats from regular golfers. So this is from ShotScope who tracks, you know, thousands of golfers around the world on the course. These are aggregated for all all levels, but it's 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 kind of interesting. So a 9-iron is 44 feet. An 8-iron is 48 feet. A seven iron is 55 feet, six iron, 67, five iron, 79 feet, and a four iron, 85 feet. So an overall blended proximity of 63 feet, which is more than double, perhaps uh, it's actually sometimes triple what the tour players are doing. So that, that should come as, as no surprise that, you know, regular golfers, their dispersion circles are incredibly large even compared to tour players and then the tour players aren't as good as most people think here's an interesting one though with amateurs especially a lot of that comes from the front to back portion of it which is why the strike plan is so important guys get it so that can kind of throw off some of the numbers because i've i found that obviously it is true that amateurs are much wider but i found amateurs surprisingly okay side to side Yep, it's front to long that they struggle with. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so uh, the reason why I say that is because many amateurs will come in and they say, well, I'm hitting it all over the place. And then we'll watch them hit at 50 shots on, on the launch monitor. And I say, well, actually, your worst left was 20 yards left. Your worst right was 20 yards right. That's a 40-yard circle. That's 
not that bad. I mean, obviously it is to you because you expect to hit it straight every single time because you have absolutely unrealistic ex expectations. And so then you're managing the expectations. But the player says, well, how am I going to get better then? And you say, well, look at your front-to-back dispersion or look at increasing distance. So, so many amateurs are looking for improvement in the wrong areas or improve how you overlay that shot pattern onto your scenario, you know, picking Absolutely. better targets. Well, don't jump the gun yet. We're going to get into how to pick the targets. But I still have a few more things I want to say on the stat side. So... Is it safe to say most people are, I always hear it and they're like, oh yeah, they're aim oh, you aiming at the pin. Like I got to make a birdie here. <laughs> well, let's talk about birdies for a second. So we now know that a average tour player with a wedge in their hand generally can't get the ball closer than 15 to 20 feet on average. Here's the average make rate on those putts. So a tour pro from 10 feet only has about a 40% chance of making a putt. Go back to 20 feet and it's 15%. So if you take the difference between the two, you know, you're in the some, it's about a one in five chance they're going to make a putt from 15 feet, something like that. So even if they can hit it close for them, they're not making the putts that often. So the payoff isn't there because, first of all, no one can land the ball that close to the pin on average. And secondly, they're not going to make enough putts to make that like a profitable decision to go pin hunting. You know, a lot of tour players are making their birdies on par fives. You know, par threes and par fours are harder to have a lower scoring average on. And what even blows people's minds even more is that most PGA Tour players, the average is like three and a half birdies around. You know, the best tour player every year is somewhere around five birdies around. Someone like Justin Thomas will do that. And then the worst player is two and a half birdies per round. So they're not making that many birdies. And most they're of just those, sorry, I was going to say most of those come from par fives as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Par so fives it, and two. Exactly. Because they're, they're taking advantage of their length. A lot of the players can get there in two and it's just an up and down for a birdie. Or sometimes they get on the green, they two putt for a birdie. That's where a lot of their birdies are coming from. And th this was something that I struggled with so much because as a junior golfer who, who, you know, someone was hoping he could get to scratch one day, I assumed that, you know, scratch golfers were firing at pins all day and making putts left and right. And as I got to play with them, I realized that wasn't the case. You know, if you look at birdies per round by handicap, this is from ShotScope as well. A two handicap makes about two birdies around. And then it just falls off a cliff. Eight handicap is 0.8 birdies. 14 handicap is 0.4. 20 handicap is 0.2. So, you know, I've seen most low handicap golfers are going to average around two birdies or less. So the reason their scores are lower is not because of birdies. It's not because they're firing at pins. Now let's take a look at the more important part, double bogeys. A two handicap only makes one double bogey around. A 14 handicap makes three and a half double bogeys around. 20 handicap, 5.5, and a 26, 6.1. So it's really the more skilled players, the players who are shooting lower scores, they're not doing it through birdies. They're doing it through making more pars and making more bogeys and avoiding those big mistakes. And a lot of that has to do with putting themselves either on the green or in a position around the green where they're not in big trouble. So if you think that your path to becoming a better golfer is firing at pins and keeping it around the pin, it's not going to work for you.
Adam, what do you think about all that? Talk to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I agrees. just think of my own game. I mean, I'm such a conservative personality. I mean, everything I do, the you know, the businesses I create have no overheads. If I'm playing poker, I remember a time where I had three aces in my hand and I folded it because I knew there was a flush on the table. <laughs> um, I'm just that, and I, I was right, actually. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm just a kind of conservative person. So I'm thinking back to my golf days. Uh, and this is where I was quite good. I think the hitting irons off tee, off tees were a bad thing, but I would always be aiming at the middle of the green, or that would be my target, at least in almost every scenario. And it may even be the opposite side of the green if there was danger on one side of it. Yeah, I think I'm similar to you. I'm, I'm a more risk averse person. So I think I got this part of the game right too. I was just so scared of making a mistake that I would take conservative targets with my approach play. The problem was, and we you know, we've alluded to this in other episodes, is that off the tee, I played super safe as well, laying back. And we now know that that's, that costs you more strokes than it gains you in most instances. So the overall winning strategy in a very generic top level way is like approach shots, you pump the brakes, you're safe, you're not going after the pin. Whereas tee shots, I think if you were playing it too safe, that's an area where you want to look at that differently. And we certainly can cover that in another episode. But I don't lean on traditional stats too much anymore. But as I said before, if someone asks me, like, what can I do to become a much better golfer? Like, I really want to drop my handicap a lot. I would say focus on greens and regulation and work backwards from there. Because that is where when you look at green and regulation, and I'll share these stats uh, again from ShotScope. A two handicap is hitting about 57% of greens in regulation. Eight handicap is 43. 14 goes down to 28. A 20 handicap is 21% of greens. And 26 handicap is only 15% of greens. So that's the one stat I love people to obsess over. I just want you to rack up greens in regulation and get the ball on the putting surface. And a lot of that has to do with you know, we'll, we'll get into the target selection, but it, it, it's kind of pumping the brakes and, and choosing smarter targets and club selections, looking at what's around the hole and doing your best to get the ball on the putting surface. And if you don't leave yourself in a position where you can get the ball back on the putting surface, maybe make a par putt and at worst two putt for a bogey. This is more about giving yourself easy pars and bogeys and avoiding double bogeys than it is making birdies. That's my closing argument. I'm done. Definitely. The the one stat I get people to take note of, I like greens in regulation, but I get them to mark down their shot, their outcome, relative to their aim. So this is really invaluable for me because I can see someone's patterns relative to their aim. Because just looking at greens in regulation, you know, you might be hit, playing on the course where the greens are really small one week. You might be playing on, on the course where the greens are big one week. So relative to aim is, is better for me because I can see, is that player making mistakes? Like, do they have a massive spread? Are they hitting it 30 yards right of their aim and then 30 yards left of their aim next shot? Or in many cases, you find that a player is actually hitting it in a quite tight area. So, you know, they might be, say, 30 yards left, or they might be hitting it on their aim. 
So you can imagine that scenario where they hit straight shot, straight shot, straight shot, or some amount left, 30 yards left. And they're complaining, I'm always missing it left. And you look at their pattern and you say, well, actually, you're, it's, it's only a 30-yard circle, really. That's really tight. That's a really good circle. You just need to bias it more to the right. You need to pick better aim points on your, on your golf course. And it also allows me to see when a player says, oh, I, I made a double bogey on this one. I say, well, how far left or right of your aim was it? And if they say, oh, well, I hit it 10 yards left of my aim, I can say to them, well, that wasn't a bad shot because that's a tall level shot effectively. That was a bad strategy. And so by keeping track of shot relative to aim, I, it tells me much more information. Yeah, I think using a system, I'll, I'll plug shot scope here because we got the deal of practical golf. But if you have an automatic tracking system like that or Arcos, you can do a manual one like golf metrics or decade. Once you start plotting all where all your shots are going on the course and they can automatically track it for you, a lot of people find that you know they're missing it to the short side of the green. They're not picking enough club. That's like the number one miss. I think 80 to 90% of golfers are missing it on the short side of the green on average when you look at them in aggregate. But to your point, I think there are, like when I think back on my rounds, sometimes there are just mistakes in terms of a swing, like you double cross it, you know, you just have, it's part of your variation of, of your skill level. Like sometimes you can pick a smart target and you double cross it and miss the green on the short side. There are other times what you're alluding to, there are strategic mistakes where perhaps you got a little too aggressive with the line you took. Now, let's say the pin was tucked in the back left of a green and you aimed at that pin and then you missed it left of the green, which would be short-siding yourself, which is the biggest mistake you can make on approach play when you have less room between yourself and the pin. That's a strategic mistake when you know that had I aimed maybe 15, 20, 30 feet to the right, that ball would have ended up on the green and I would have gotten out there with an easy par rather than perhaps a double bogey. Those are the, the kinds of mistakes that people can clean up rather quickly if they start paying attention to this and start having some discipline on the course. Well, this is why I like the shot relative to aim thing, because a lot of modern stats don't, don't take that into account. And probably the biggest anecdote that I've got here that is in Tiger's book, How I Play Golf. So he was very early on in his career, he was in a playoff and the guy went before him and dunked it in the water. So I think there was water short and water left. And the pin is tucked on the left. So now Tiger steps up and he thinks all I have to do is hit the green here. So he, he aims at the right side of the green, right? Nowhere near the pin. And then he says he proceeds to hit the worst shot of the entire tournament. He pulls it, it hooks even further, and it lands five foot from the pin. And the crowd go wild, thinking he's just taken a really aggressive line at that pin. And he hasn't. He took a very safe line and hit an awful shot, but it landed very close. He had an awful shot relative to his aim. And he ends up winning, obviously. But there's so many lessons in that. Number one, Tiger was not aiming at the pin there. Number two, when you're watching players on TV, yes, they might knock it very close, but that doesn't mean they were aiming there. That might be a mistake, as it was in the case of Tiger. And then therefore, you know, that would go down in the stats as five foot from the pin. But in reality, in my stat, shot relative to aim, it would go down as maybe 20 yards left of his, his uh, aim. So that helps you more. Yeah, that, that's one of the most, 
and I hate to always bash on PGA Tour telecasts, but here I go again. Oftentimes, we fixate on the result. Like there are so many times like that example you gave of Tiger where you'll see a guy knock it, you know, six, seven feet from the pin. They're like, oh, yeah, he took an aggressive line there. Like you have no idea what line he took. Like you said, he could have been aimed 20, 30 feet right and just pull hooked it a bit and it ended up near the pin, which is why I, I like to mentally review all of my shots after my round to see if I made a few strategic mistakes like that. Like you said, where did I aim? Where did the ball end up? Was it a smart target? Was it a just a bad swing? And try and dive into that because I have rounds where as much as I know about this is as much as I try and coach players on it, I get just as sloppy as everyone else. Like there are times where I'll play and my focus isn't as good as it should be mentally, perhaps on my targets on approach shots and I'll maybe get it lazy a few and, and, and not pick the right target and not think about it enough and make a mistake that leads to perhaps a bogey or a double bogey. So yeah, it's really important to establish like what your target is and then actually review afterwards where did the ball end up because those are the clues that get you better at this. Exactly. I'm always trying to analyze was it a bad shot or was it a bad strategy for a player? You know, and, and sometimes I'll be I'll hit a shot that misses a green and it'll it'll kind of frustrate me, but I have to take a step back and say, "Well, no, that was that was an okay miss technically." And it was just a safe strategy. And okay, it's upset me that it's finished there, but it's much better than if I had aimed in the opposite place and pulled it into the water, if that makes sense. So sometimes, you know, these shots that end up bad, they, they can still be okay. You still have to just analyze it in the right way. So one of the scenarios I want to talk about is on that topic of if you have a 20-yard circle, like a tour pro, well, that's average. It's actually bigger than that. But say you're aiming at a specific spot and you hit maybe 33% of your shots, a third of them fly online, a third of them fly left, and a third of them fly right. Well, imagine that scenario where the pin is tucked on the left, right? And now player A is going to aim at the pin. Right, So a third of their shots fly online and they get 33% of birdie chances. 33% or a third of their shots fly right and lands on the middle of the green. And then a third of their shots fly left and now they've missed the green. Okay, So that's player A who aimed at the pin. Well, what about player B who takes a more conservative approach and aims just 10 yards right of the pin? Well, now with the same swing, the same mechanics or the same human variability, a third of their shots fly online. They're now middle of the green. Yes, a third of their shots fly right and they have a long putt. But those third of shots that fly left are now birdie chances. They're basically having the same amount of birdie chances as the player who took the most aggressive approach. But it was just their mistakes, in air quotes, that produced the birdie chances. Or I would like to say their normal human variability, the left side of their shot pattern, produced the birdie chances. So you can still take a conservative approach and end up with the exact same amount of birdie chances. The biggest difference here between player A and player B is player B has more long putts and player A has more up and downs. I don't care how difficult that long putt is, you're always going to get it up and down more often than you will a short chip. Your worst putt is better than your worst chip. 
Yeah. In most cases. Okay. In most some cases. Weird yeah, scenarios I know, yeah. We know people. there's always, there's always exceptions. We always say that in every episode, but yeah, your, your chances of posting a lower score go dramatically lower when your ball is on the putting surface versus if you're chipping or pitching it. And then I always get responses to this. So like, well, on my course, there's a crazy hill in front of it and you have to land it short of the green and chip up and down. I'm like, no, that's not true. It's just not. Getting the ball on the putting surface is always – this is – when we talk about stuff like this, this is not situational strategy. This is long-term stacking the odds in your favor, not evaluating your results in one round. This is becoming the casino and not the gambler. You know, these are the strategies that stack the odds in your favor over tens and hundreds of rounds. And that's why I always talk about discipline with this because – all those scenarios Adam's talking about, you can pick all the smart targets you want, but you know certain days your swing's not there and you're not going to score that well because you can't control where the face is pointing or your shot shape, strike location. You know, Strategy is a refinement. It's not going to be a breakthrough for people. So that's why people tend to get a little impatient with this stuff and they're like, ah, this isn't working. I'm just going to keep firing at the pin. It's more fun that way. And I said, that's fine. You could do that, but you can't have it both ways because I can tell you if you do stick with that pin strategy and you're not more cerebral about your targets on, on the greens, you're just going to be making it harder for yourself to post lower scores in the long run. And, and if that's your goal, if you want to lower your handicap, it's kind of this like almost boring pursuit where you're picking these boring targets that allow for pulls and pushes and still being okay most of the time rather than you know doing the swashbuckling version of golf that's kind of the bummer about all this stuff is it's, it's, it's not that exciting to most people if you want to support our show make sure to check out our sponsor linkedin by visiting linkedin.com slash sweet spot to post your job for free when you're hiring for your small business it's essential that you get quality and qualified professionals and that's why you have to check out linkedin jobs LinkedIn Jobs can help you find the right people for your team with the fast and free tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a network of more than a billion professionals, many of which you can't find elsewhere. And this makes LinkedIn the best place to hire while making the process easy and intuitive. Because of how easy it is with LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses find qualified candidates in less than 24 hours. LinkedIn have just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier. That's why two and a half million businesses trust LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Link is in the show notes. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, a long putt. Always, almost always. I can't think of a scenario where a long putt wouldn't beat any kind of chip because I mean think of the up and down rates of even a tour pro is about 60 percent so every time they miss the green they cost in themselves 0.4 of a shot effectively oh yeah it's significant so uh, there's there's no putt out there that their pro is gonna three putt 
four times out of ten. So, and then w- when you get to the higher handicappers, their short game is even worse. So they, at best, they're probably going to get a twenty percent up and down rate. So every missed green is costing them point eight of a shot, almost almost a full shot, not quite. And so, yeah, if you're if there's a putt on your course where you're going to three putt more than eight times out of ten. You probably need to work on your lag putting instead of, you know, saying that this is a bad strategy. It's not a bad strategy. It's just you need, you have horrendous putting. Yeah, I'd much rather have a, a round where I hit 15 greens and maybe three putt a few more times because I can guarantee that my score will usually be lower than the round where I only hit seven greens and I'm scrambling all the time. It's just harder to get up and down for par or even avoid double bogeys because, again, when you miss the green, let's say you dump it in a bunker and you short side yourself – you could blade it out of that bunker. You could chunk it. A lot of people fail to get the ball on the green when they're short-sided. They get a little too cute with it. So those are those like kind of two-chip situations where you're you're fighting to save double bogey. So yeah, that the, the putting surface makes a huge difference. One other concept I want to reiterate to people, and this gets back to shot shape. I think this kind of clouds people's judgment with selecting targets on approach shots. They rely too much on their shot shape and not thinking about where the ball is going to end up. I actually sent a tweet about this yesterday, and uh, I believe you retweeted me, so thank you. Shot shape is only one part of the equation, and this is what I said. Just because you draw the ball doesn't mean you won't miss it to the right of your target. Some people assume like, well, I hit it right to left. The ball's always going to come back. And I would encourage everyone to listen to our episode on club face control because your shot shape might be consistent, But what Adam was describing earlier, where a third of your shots are to the left, center, and right, and that can be different for each golfer, the more important factor is where that club face is pointing at impact. So I draw the ball, but if my club face is way too open at impact, it can draw all at once. I'm still going to miss it way right in my target and vice versa. If the club face is too closed, then I have a shot that starts left of my target and hooks even more, which is an even bigger problem for me. So I don't think it makes sense for people to plan on their approach shot targets based on their desired ball flight or like working it in both directions. You can go to our episode on fade or draw. That's why if you start keeping track of this stuff, you'll start to see that nobody eliminates one side of the course. It's impossible. I posted a picture side by side of me hitting about 20 fades towards the target and 20 draws, and it was all legit. And the end result was almost the same. Both of them had a slight left bias miss, but they had the same amount of big rights, the same amount of big lefts, and there's a slight left bias miss, which goes against... People usually fall into one of two camps, right? They fall into the Nicholas camp of saying, aim at the middle of the green and draw it in draw it towards the danger. So if the pin's on the left, draw it towards that. Well, that can be horrible for many people because they might overdo their shapes. Or they fall into the other category of aim at the pin and fade it towards safety or draw it towards safety. And again, that might be horrible for people because most people, when they're trying to shape it, might have a double cross. And how I figured this out, and this was a big learning for me. So in 2008... I'm not going to give a specific day. I hate when people do that. <laughs> um, I had a good player. I was assigned a pretty decent amateur in Austria. And I was told, because he had a technical coach already, he said, just teach him how to play. Just teach him strategy. And I'm like, I'm a kind of a new coach. I'm like, well, I don't really, 
it's not my speciality strategy. I don't know what to do with this player. So what I started to do with him was just play games on the range. We had a green there, and I used to split it into three different sections, so middle, left, and right section. And I would say to him, all right, aim at this section and try and draw it into the pin. Now aim at this section and try and fade it in. And I figured out that we could actually predict the score as well. So I used Pelt's putting stats at the time. So I said, oh, well, if you hit this section of the green, you're probably going to score, you know, another 1.5 strokes. You know, you might hole half of them. And if you hit this section, you might have a few three putts. You'll score uh, 2.1 strokes. So it's kind of strokes. It wasn't exactly strokes game, but it was kind of just predicting based on math. So, yeah, I used to ask him to aim at different places, hit different shapes. And I created a, even a spreadsheet with different algorithms on there to try and predict. So at the end of it, we'd sit down and we'd say, oh, well, you, you would in this scenario score lower if you had aimed at the right side and drawn it in. So I started to expand this out and I realized that I didn't have to ask him to hit a million different shots. What I could do is just take his shot pattern and I could kind of simulate different things. So I could say, well, what if he aimed at this portion of the green? Or what if he aimed at that one? And I created all these little algorithms to kind of mathematically model what would be better for him. And then I took that further. I recruited some guys on Golf WRX to test this little algorithm out. And what I realized is in almost all scenarios for everybody, the best shot was almost always the same shape. So for me, it surprised me, right? I'm a natural drawer of the ball. But for me, I would always score lower when I tried to fade the ball. And that's regardless of where I aimed. So that's where I come with the philosophy. And most people agree. I know Scott Fawcett, who's probably the biggest strategy guy out there, he, he agrees with this as well, is that players should play one shape. And I do, I certainly agree with that when it comes to playing on the course. I like players to experiment a little bit with hitting different shots. But when it comes to playing, play with one shape. And what I also found was it went against Nicholas's philosophy for many people. So, for example, Jack Nicholas's philosophy was if the pin was on the left, he would aim at the middle and, and draw it in. And if the pin was on the right, he would aim at the middle and fade it in. Well, that was wrong for two reasons. because one most players are going to produce a tighter shot dispersion with one shape. And if they try and play two shapes, they're going to have a bigger dispersion pattern, or they're just going to sometimes pick the one that doesn't give their best result. But also, number two, for many people who overdo the shape, that's the worst situation for them. Because that player who aims at the middle and tries to draw it into the left pin, they're going to overdo it sometimes. And very rarely may they underdo it and hit the middle of the green. So they're going to miss more greens by using that strategy. Yeah, it's one of those things that you know, you're almost – I'm sure there's players who have done that who played well. Maybe if there was something better waiting for them if they chose one shape, you never know. But it's one of those things where you kind of like fight against like the nostalgia and basic part of the game that was always said. Because it sounds very rational being like, oh, if it's a back left pin, just aim at the center and draw it and vice versa – for back right pin but then when you actually like now that we have the tools to track this stuff and you see all the shots displayed in front of you i know for me as a natural drawer of the golf ball if i tried to fade it to a back right pin i would struggle 
way more with face control than I did with my draw pattern. So I'd be blocking a ton of them way right. I'd probably be double crossing a bunch and pulling them. My dispersion circle would get much bigger for that fade versus if I just stuck with my draw, it's tighter in general. So I'm producing less fantastic results, not those pin seekers that everyone thinks they want. It's more about eliminating those, oh, crap shots where I'm like, oh, I just blasted it. 30 yards right of the green, now I'm stuck in some junk. That for me is why the fade it this way, draw it that way doesn't make sense. Yeah, for you, taking your best shot shape, your most consistent shot shape, which is a draw, and just learning how to overlay that, learning how to pick appropriate aim points to shift that pattern around the green. And on the other side of that, or the other part of that argument, that scenario where the pin is on the left, you know, where Nicholas would aim at the middle and draw in, I found many players who never double crossed. So their best strategy was actually to aim at the pin and fade it away from it because they never missed left with their fades. So, you know, sometimes they'd hit a straight shot and it would land on the flag and sometimes they'd fade it and they'd land onto the middle of the green. But that was their best strategy mathematically. So, uh, yeah, I learned a lot from this this approach and very interesting. A lot of it went against what I was told, what I thought. I know a lot of people are going to say, how can you tell? How can you say that Nicholas was wrong? And I'm like, well, he, was, he might have been right for himself, but for many players, that might be the worst strategy for them. Yeah, I, I try not to <laughs> call out because again, yeah, you, you're never going to win that argument. We have like arguably the well, greatest or second. You can, <laughs> you but can, it, it just it's a logical fallacy. You know, it's the the appeal to authority because Nicholas was a great player, therefore his argument was correct. That's a logical fallacy. So if you believe that, you're not logical as a person. We're going to do a whole episode on that, so let's not yeah, go into should. that one. I know that's on <laughs> our should. our back burner. So. I have an incredibly simple strategy that I've told a lot of people on how to pick targets on greens that's worked very well for many people. Like, do you want to get into some like tips now on actually selecting the target? Yeah, um, let's go. Rules let's of go. thumb. Let's do it. I mean, one that I think my core thought is that as you are a more skilled golfer, I think you can get a little more nuanced with the targets you're picking on the greens. But for a lot of players, I'm talking. I can't assign a specific handicap to it because it's very difficult to do that because some players are stronger iron players and they're better drivers of the ball at different handicap levels. But I would say for intermediate to beginner type players, I usually give the same advice, which is aim at the middle of the green and play the back yardage. Get yourself a GPS watch and unless there's some crazy trouble behind the green, play to the back number and aim at the middle. And there's a few reasons I suggest that to people is because it simplifies things. You know, they step up to the shot every time knowing what to do. So they're more committed to it. It takes into account the most common fault of golfers with approach shots is that they just don't hit the ball as far as they think they do. They're not puring it. They're missing the green on the short side. So that's why I generally tell a lot of players to pick the back number because it allows for a little bit of a miss hit and they could still get it on the green or at least near the green versus those shots that really miss short. So that's why I say back yardage. And again, you can adjust on that based on the course. If like if there's out of bounds right behind the green or some horrible trouble, certainly adjust for that. And then the last part, the reason I say the, the center of the green is because I know that the hardest skill to master as a golfer is face control. 
which is where that club face is pointing at impact. So I don't care what way you bend the ball or curve it, you're going to miss targets to the left and right. And it's just quite simple to aim at the center most of the time. So I give people that super simple strategy to just go out there with. And I think it will yield lower scores in the long run for, let's say, those intermediate to beginner type players rather than if they tried to go out there and plot their shots strategically. I think it might be a little more work than necessary for their skill level. So I think that's a really basic strategy that everyone can take out to the course and have success with. And I've gotten tons of emails and messages over the years from people who have lowered their handicap with that strategy. Yeah, I wrote a post called No Flag Golf, and it was based on something we used to do at IMG Academies when I was there. Uh, We used to go out in the mornings and take the flag out of the greens on every single green. And uh, the kids would go out and play. And so they'd step up on the their approach shot and they're like, well, I have no idea where the flag is. I don't know where the hole is. So they had to. The only choice they had was, let's just get it on the green then. Let's just aim for the fat part of the green and hope that the flag is somewhere around there. And the amount of low scores that were shot by using that were just, it was just unbelievable because it, it automatically takes away the desire for the person to aim at a pin or to pick an aggressive line or target because why on earth are they going to aim for the front left portion of the green if, if they have no idea where the flag is so they would always exactly. pick the middle of the green and so yeah we always saw number one we saw much fewer high scores so you know even in players who were quite inconsistent their upper end dropped down dramatically uh, but the amount, a number of low scores was really surprising as well now, obviously, when you stick a real pin in there, our brain knows it's there and it's hard not to go for that. But I like, I love the strategy that you just mentioned. Aim at the back of the green distance-wise in general. Or I would say aim, aim so that a good shot with that club would hit the back of the green, like a flush shot. So if it's yep. 170 to the back and your flushed 7-9 is 170, then that's a good club for you. Because how often do we flush it? I'm a, I'm a pro, and I don't flush it every shot. I might hit 1 out of 10 that will hit my full yardage. So yeah, let's say, for example, my 8-iron, a flush strike with my 8-iron is 170. But it's my 160 to 165 club. If the back of the green is 170, I may pick it for that. The nuance here, or as you get slightly better, you might want to veer towards something that might be like, if the pin is on the back, pick a club that if you flush it will reach the back, which stays the same. If the pin is on the middle, I usually give a 5 to 10 yard buffer. So say the pin is 160, I'll play my 8 iron because I know a flush shot with my 8 iron will go 170. So actually, a shot that lands on the target is is usually a little bit of a miss strike. But we're going to miss strike most of our shots. We're human. And then if the pin is on the front, I usually give a 10 to 15 yard buffer, depending on the depth of the green. Obviously, there are certain things here, like if there's danger on the back of the green or more danger on the front, you might buffer those or bias those even more. Same as lateral strategy as well. You know, middle of the green... Well, sometimes I'll aim it even more, bias it more to the right side of the green. If there's water left, if there's water left and nothing right, I want to make sure I'm not going to hit that water. Because, you know, missing a green on the right-hand side, okay, it might cost me half a shot, you know, 50% up and down rate. But if you hit that water, it's going to cost you one and a half shots because you have to take a full drop and then get it up and down. So effectively hitting the water costs you three times more 
than missing the green on the other side. Yeah, I think, and I'll, I'll try and speak as generically as I can. I think there's two instances where you can start aiming, you can take the pin more into account. Certainly, if your skill level is better, if you're a better ball striker, let's say you're a single digit handicap for argument's sake, and as your proximity to the hole, as you get closer to the hole, you can get a little bit more precise with your targets. Like, for example, if I'm 200 yards away from the hole, I'm going to get very conservative with my targets versus if I'm 100 yards from the hole, well, then I could start, you know, if it's a back left pin, maybe I'll be aiming still to the right of the pin, but perhaps I'm not going to play the back yardage because I want to remove that long left miss. Maybe I'll play like a middle, maybe a few yards more. So, you know, if the green's on the back left, I'm aimed at maybe the middle maybe a touch longer yardage so you can get a little bit closer to the pin with your targets, but certainly not on it. And more importantly, as Adam said, you're starting to think about where the big trouble is around the hole. If there's a hazard, you got to aim away from it. If there's a deep bunker on one side and there's flat, fluffy grass on the other where you can have an easy chip, favor that side more. You want to start thinking about what's a good miss because obviously you're not going to hit them all on the green. And when you do, you want to give yourself that opportunity to have plenty of green to work with, a reasonable lie, so you can get the ball on the putting surface and just two putt for that bogey or perhaps make that par putt. So I think as you get closer to the hole or your skill level increases, you can start to plot more specific targets on the green based on the pin position and more importantly, the big trouble around the green. Does that make sense, Adam? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, if I'm hitting a long iron into a green, I'm probably going to be aiming at the right side of the green, depending on the size of it, obviously. Maybe up to 20 yards right of, of my target with a long iron. Whereas when I get a wedge in my hand, I might only be aiming, say, five yards right, six yards, seven yards right of my target. Yeah, I'll, I'll give an example. Like the third hole at my course is like a relatively difficult driving hole. It's very downhill. And if you hit a good drive, you'll you'll still have like kind of like a side hill, downhill lie into a green that's beneath you. And there's a really nasty bunker past the green and some bad ones left and right. So I know that like in general, I cannot miss this green long. If I go in those back bunkers, I'm just automatic bogey at best. It's a bad situation to be in. They're very shallow. Sometimes you can't even get the club on the ball. So on that hole, especially because I know I'm downhill, I'm going to play a little less yardage because, you know, let's say I have 130 to the middle of the green and the back of the green is like 145. I'm going to select a club that I know will never get past that 145. I just can't be there. Whereas if I miss the green short, totally flat, very easy, up and down, worst I'm going to do is make bogey. Of course, I still want to land it on the green, but that's an example of like an extreme feature on the hole that I know is there and that based on my club selection and target, I'm going to try and avoid that trouble because I know if I hit it back there, bogey or double bogey, I'm losing at least a stroke. And those are the type of things that I think about, I guess, in a little bit more of an advanced way with my approach shots. Definitely. I mean, you can use basic rules, like like we said, aim at the back of the green, aim at the middle of the green laterally. Those are basic rules that are really good and you can slightly adjust those. Or, I mean, with some players, we do some proper digging into the, the math and we say, well, look, this is your shot 
dispersion. This is how many you hit 10 yards left of your target. This is how many you hit 20 yards left of your target. And we can actually go out and mathematically model different holes and find real optimal aim points. So you can dig really deep in there and shave every single stroke. I think that's overkill for most amateurs, but certainly yes. with some of the better players we who, who are after every little stroke, we can do that. It's it's very involved. It's very time intensive. Yeah, and I think some- that's that's more for like the elite amateur aspiring professional, like playing in tournaments where like if they save themselves a quarter of a stroke or half a stroke here and there with smarter targets, like that's a big deal. If we're talking about it in the context of someone who wants to go from a 20 handicap to a 12 handicap, honestly, center of the green, back of the green, you know, Boo Weekly, is that his name? He is one of the best iron players in the world. I think he made it on the Ryder Cup team a decade ago, but really good iron player. I think he always has this quote that many other tour players have said one version of it. The center of the green never moves. It's just never a bad target because it takes into account all of those things with where your misses could be in terms of like where you're aimed left or right. And it simplifies things. Like my main goal for most golfers, myself included, is I want you to step up to an approach shot with your target selected and no no sense of doubt or as minimal as doubt as possible. And that's why I like those simple target selections where you just step up and you know exactly where you're hitting it every time. Just having that can free you up to execute and let your body do what it's supposed to do and actually hit the ball properly versus if you step up to it thinking like, oh, it's a back left pin. You know, I really want to get it on that number. And then you're thinking about too many things at once. And then you all of a sudden you just chunk the ball. So part of the reason I like to simplify things for people is that I know it can help you mentally before the shot. And more importantly, with your execution, because your mind will be freed up more. Yeah. I used to lie to a lot of my students <laughs> they could they could kill me for that i used to go out on uh playing lessons with pupils and we were in spain so you have to switch yardages to meters and, uh, in spain a lot of them are to the front of the green instead of it so i used to select the clubs for people i used to tell them that it was a certain yardage when it wasn't <laughs> and because uh, they're like oh i don't want to go through all the calculations of doing that and this this and that just tell me what club to hit and i say okay cool that's that's good for me and i would tell them the yardage to the back of the green so like the pin might be on the middle uh, it's 150 yards away and i would give them their 170 yard club and at the end of it they'd walk off nine holes and they were like two shots lower than their best and they're like wow that was such a great round and i'd say yeah do you know what i did there i know what I gave you two clubs more than you normally would hit for almost every single shot there. And I played you towards the back of the green. So this stuff works. It really works. It's hard to do. It's hard to convince people to do it. But I suppose that's where you listeners can separate yourself from the rest of the pack because there's going to be a ton of people listening to this who are like, yeah, it sounds good, but nah, I'm still going to go for the pin. Yeah, and I'll be totally honest. I have, like I said, I have rounds where I struggle sometimes keeping the, you know, sometimes I just get mentally fatigued or like everyone else, if I'm not playing well, it's harder to focus. So, you know, talking about it in this context or writing articles on my site, it's it's an important reminder for me as well, as much as I'm trying to coach people not to do those aggressive things. I get lazy sometimes myself and then I pay and then I'll hit a shot where I know I paid the price for it. And it kind of snaps me back into reality that this game can do that all the time. 
But yeah, I, I still consider this one of the low hanging fruits of scoring for most players because it is easy to comprehend. It's harder to have the discipline to stick with it in your round. But if you kind of commit to this type of philosophy, this more conservative approach on approach shots, no pun intended, I pretty much guarantee most people listening to this, your your scores will drop. For some people, it might be two strokes. For others, it could be six strokes. It really depends on where you're at with your targets in the first place. Yeah. And don't go out and try this for one round and say that it doesn't work. That's like playing one hand of poker and losing and saying, oh, well, poker's not for me. No, if you play the mathematical odds over, over and over and over, then you will end up in a good, you'll stand in good stead with this. Yeah, strategy. It's a long. It's a long-term refinement for your game. It's a long-term commitment. Exactly. Probably one of the reasons why this is so difficult to do mentally is because there's no better feeling than aiming at the pin and then hitting a shot exactly as you planned. But that is not how you should make birdies in most cases. You know, most of my birdies nowadays come from aiming right of the pin and accidentally drawing it or overdrawing it perhaps. Tiger Woods was really forthcoming with his strategy. If you listen to a lot of his quotes during his prime, he spoke about this a lot where he was just outlasting fields by choosing smart targets on par threes and par fours where he would just get it on the fat side of the green, meaning keep it on the side where there's more space between him and the pin versus short siding himself. He was such a great putter that some of those putts rolled in, obviously, but he made hay on par fives because of his distance advantage, and he was a phenomenal long iron player, so he could get it on most greens on par fives and just two putt for a birdie. I'm not suggesting that everyone is going to be Tiger Woods, but that's really, in a nutshell, kind of what smart strategy for approach shots is in this game is, is that you're not shooting yourself in the foot and you're not playing for the hero shot. You're just trying to get the ball in a situation that won't hurt you that bad if you miss your target. And if you do hit your target, you're on the green putting. And sometimes you'll make a few putts. But as I said earlier in this round, and I hate to like, I hate to burst people's bubbles (laughs) about golf, but you're just not going to make a lot of birdies. I mean, I actually played this morning and had, a. I think I made five birdies today and I only shot one under, which, you know, had I not made a few mistakes, I had four bogeys in there it kind of evens out. Like I keep my handicap around scratch and I definitely don't average more than two birdies around. Some rounds like this, I have a ton of birdies and some rounds I have none. I just, no one's good enough to have five. Like I hear some people like, oh yeah, I make six birdies around. And I'm like, bull, you know what? Because it's just, it's a lie. No one could do that. You can't force it as well. You can't force birdies. The only scenario you could is potentially if you're on a par five and you like go in four in two, that's forcing a birdie. But in terms of when you're hitting into a green, you can't force knocking that ball close. So, uh, you know, even if you were trying, say you played an entire round trying to birdie every single hole, you're probably going to make very close to the same amount of birdies as if you just taking a more conservative approach and have oh, some mistakes thrown in. I bet you'd make more birdies doing the conservative approach because you'd be giving, you'd have so many more chances at putting for birdie versus missing the pin to the tucked side and being short-sided where you're just like scrambling to even make a bogey at that point. So yeah, I mean, fat side wins <laughs> or, or just aiming at the center wins too. It, it, it's very simple. All right. Closing thoughts. Yeah, we're at our our closing thoughts. My closing thought is that this game is not about, especially iron play, approach play is so important for scoring. 
no one in the world can land it on their target or within even a, you know, as we said, 20, 30, 40 foot window, you're playing with a much bigger circle than you think. So aim accordingly. You could keep it simple, aim at the middle of every green, play to the back yardage, as I said, but don't feel like you have to put all this pressure on yourself to manufacture these shots that go at the pin. It's just not how scoring occurs. Think about where the big trouble is around the greens. You can aim away from it, or you can keep it as simple as middle and back. But just try and give yourself opportunities to get on the putting surface, or at worst, have a relatively easy wedge shot to get the ball on the green if you do miss the green. I think that is approach shot strategy in a nutshell, speaking at a very generic kind of like intermediate to beginner level. Yeah. Pick a club that'll reach the middle, the back of the green. Pick a target that'll allow the majority of your shots to get on the green. And then pick your best shot type. Don't try fading one, drawing the next. Just pick, pick the one that gives you the tightest dispersion. And uh, yeah, if you guys want to go really in depth on this, I've got a ton of information on this in Next Level Golf. And if you just want a more basic, uh, I've actually got a system that is uh, really simple that helps golfers a lot with this. And that's in the accuracy plan as well, or Next Level Golf, if you want to dive deeper. John, where should people go for you? I've written a lot of stuff about this. I essentially just gave it all away in this episode. I'm just saying the same thing over and over again because I need to hear it. Everyone else needs to hear it. So if you're bored by it, too bad. It's just a winning strategy and it will lower your scores. So you can always hop on practical-golf.com and, and read some of my approach shot strategy articles. But I'm using the same information over and over again, and I'm glad to do it. So that's our time. We will see you next week. And thanks for tuning in. We'll have a competition for you guys next week, hopefully. Yes.